Okay. Um, so anyway, we're going to be looking at all those things. This is going to annoy me the whole time. Um, and uh, we're going to be seeing what, what these apostles do. These guys who are like, the church doesn't exist yet, right? That, that's what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is how uh, the, the church kind of plays out and rolls out. And uh, so we're going to look at all of those things. And hopefully, as we do, we're going to get a picture of what the church is and how the church was formed and, and all of those things. Now, saying all that, I would remind you um, something that I have said about this before. We've talked about this before. But the book of Acts is descriptive in nature, okay? It is descriptive rather than prescriptive, okay? So what that means is Luke, it's, it's, kind of, it's a history book, right? So he's writing down the, the things that happened. He's describing for the reader the things that these apostles did as they went and they, they got involved in the life of the church and, and they built this church, but he's describing those things. He's not prescribing that this is the way the church should look from here on out, okay? And that's really important for us to understand as we look at this, um, He's not prescribing what the church and the believers should do or say. He's describing what the apostles are doing or what they did do and what they did say and where they did go and all of those things. It's really important um, because if we get that confused, uh, we end up kind of doing things that really aren't necessary or getting, things un, uh, getting our understanding twisted a little bit. Um, and uh, we adopt behaviors that we see these apostles doing as the way the church should be when that's just kind of their situation. For example, let's look at the book of Acts in Acts chapter two, um, and then we're gonna move on from this. But Acts chapter two, it's the day of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit, the first time the Holy Spirit comes, comes over um, these men, comes in power. Luke describes the scene, and let me just read real quick. It says, and suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them ability to speak. All right. Now, if that statement is prescriptive, then we're doing all kinds of stuff wrong, right? We might need to work into the budget this year, 2020 budget, some, some pyrotechnics, um, uh, 2021, sorry, some pyrotechnics so that we can get some flames going here, right? Because if the Holy Spirit is on us, well, then that's going to be what it looks like. Do you see what I'm saying? So, and, and if every time we gather, there should be tongues spoken out loud, but, uh, but not just not tongues, not like a prayer language, but tongues like, uh, like native tongues that people can understand for, that would be their negative tongue. And, and so we should be speaking German and French and all this stuff. I don't know those things, but I should be speaking them if this is prescriptive. You see what I'm saying? If this is the way the church should look every time the church gathers together, I absolutely believe those things happen, but that doesn't mean Luke is prescribing those things for the way the church should be and should happen all the time in that way. So let's try and remember that as we go through this series, and I'm sure we'll, it'll probably come up again in some way, all right? Um, so this idea that we're looking at, what did the apostles do in the book of Acts Acts chapter one this morning, um, we're not gonna be there necessarily going through this chronologically, this whole series, but we do start in Acts chapter one. Um, and the scripture that we're gonna read in verse 12, it starts out, then they return to Jerusalem. Now, before we even get there, you need to know where they've been 
um, and what's been happening before they return to Jerusalem. So what's happened just in the first uh, 11 verses of the book of Acts is that Jesus has been with these apostles, these 11 guys, and there are 11 at this point. He's been with them for 40 days after his resurrection, okay? Sometimes we forget that he hung around that long. But in the book of Acts, chapter one, it says, he was with them for 40 days, and he taught them about the kingdom of God during that time. And then he says, the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you, and you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you with power. Specifically, he says this to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to heaven, right? And he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. So this verse 12 that we're gonna start in that they've gone back to Jerusalem and they're waiting, okay? So let's just, let's reading, let's, let's read it. And there is a lot to read and a lot to talk through just in this scripture, so hold on, all right? So verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to upstairs room where they were staying. That is, this is who went, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and one more, Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, son of James. There's two Judases. All of these were continually devoting themselves with one mind to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, 11, okay? He lists 11, not 12, because Judas is not with them anymore. Judas made his decision to uh, betray Jesus, to turn him in, to lead the, the, the authorities to Jesus. That's what he was arrested, all of that. Um, and we're about to find out what happened with Judas. So verse 15, at this time, Peter stood up among the brothers and the sisters. A group of about 120 people was there together. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who, were arrested, who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share of this ministry. Then Luke adds a little note. Anything in parentheses is Luke's comment. It's not Peter talking anymore. It's this Luke's comment. And Luke says this. He explains about Judas. He says, now this man, Judas, acquired a field with the price of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his intestines gushed out. Perfect picture. All right. And it became known to all the residents of Jerusalem. As a result, that field was called Hakeldama. It's not how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to say it. In their own language, that is field of blood. So that's Luke's little comment there, all right? But if, we, if, you, if you're reading this through, you forget why he's saying that. So if you go back to verse 17, or 16 and 17, you don't need to go back there on the screen, but just know that this is a continuation of Peter explaining Judas and the reason they're there, okay? So Peter says, brothers, we need to do something about this, okay? Because this whole thing was foretold by a psalm in David, and then he says this, he's continuing, he says, for it was written in the book of Psalms. David said this, it was written in the book of Psalms, may his residence be made desolate, may there be none living in it, and may another take his office. Okay, now we know why we're here, okay? See why I said there's a lot in this? Now we know why we're here. 
Verse 21, therefore, since Judas isn't with us anymore, therefore, it is necessary that the men who have accompanied us, that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness who, uh, with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and they said, Lord, you know the hearts of the people. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry of apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 disciples. All right, that's it. All of that to say, we chose somebody to fill Judas's place. Like, that's, that's the point of this, okay? Peter says, listen, we, this was uh, through, through the Holy Spirit. David spoke this prophecy, and now we have to fulfill this office. We have to fulfill him, or we have to put his office forward. Now, so there's 12. Finally, we get the point of this thing. Now, as we go through this, there's gonna be a lot of things that I wanna observe and then finally, we're going to get to what does that have to do with us, okay? So just know that that is coming, but there's a lot of stuff that I want to, I want to pick apart first before we get there. So there's now 12 disciples. The question that I have first is, why was 12 necessary, okay? Why do we have to have 12? There's 11 of them. Why do we have to have 12? Why did Luke feel it was necessary to give this whole account of adding Matthias as an apostle. Why would they do that? Quoting from Peter, Peter says specifically, he says, he uses these words, it is necessary that we must choose somebody and we must choose somebody, right? So it's needed. This is what Peter, Peter is saying, like, we have to do this. Why do we have to do this? I don't really know why we have to do this. I don't know why they needed to do it. Um, is, is 12 some kind of a, Magic number, I don't know. We can speculate all kinds of things, okay? There's all kinds of things that we could, we could say. Um, was it because <clears throat> the thing from the Psalms? Well, David said this, and so we need to do this. We need to fill this office. Was it because um, there, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus, in Matthew, Jesus says the 12 tribes will be judged. These, these 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones, and they're gonna judge the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and we gotta find somebody else because who's gonna judge the 12 tribe? Right, so we got to make sure that happens. Is that what's going on here? Um, I could see going there if you want to go there. You could also say that the apostles thought, well, Jesus picked twelve of us, so we might as well keep twelve. All right, next man up. Who we doing? Right? I mean, who's who's going to be joining us on this thing? Um, We don't really know why they picked twelve, but it's important or it is significant that they did pick another guy, and it's significant that Luke recorded it, and it is significant of this office, as we're going to see here a little bit. What is this office of an apostle? We're going to get into a little bit. But I think personally, part of why they picked another guy was they needed somebody, okay? There was work to be done. There was stuff that they were supposed to be doing, and hey, let's get somebody to fill Judas's place. Verse 17 says that Judas was counted among us, and he shared in this ministry. Judas had a role, there was things that Judas was doing. Specifically, we know that Judas was the carrier of the money bag, 
because John says he used to help himself to it. Um, so he was, he was charged with keeping the books, but also then taking a little bit for himself on the sides. Um, but hey, maybe we need a new guy to fill that role. None of, us, none of the rest of us know how to count very well, so maybe we need a guy that can count, right? There's something to do. There's some, some role to be filled here. Um, think about this as like a, a sports analogy, okay? How many people can you put on the field uh, for your team in football? 11, Miles knows. 11, right? You can put 11 people on the field uh, for, how about basketball? There's five. Five go on the court from your team, right? You're not allowed to put more than that. You put more than that, there's a penalty. You go back five yards or however many yards it is, right? If there's 12 men on the field or basketball, you can kind of count and you're not allowed to do that, right? So I'm sure there's some kind of a technical or something that you would do for basketball. So you can't have more. You're not allowed to do that. But you need the number that you're allowed to have. Because if you come up short, it's, it's, you're, you're going to be uh, up against it, right? I've seen it happen in football. You're allowed to not have that many, but it doesn't do you any good. So I've seen them play with 10 players on the side, and it usually doesn't end well, right? It usually ends up in the quarterback counting. Oh, they've only got 10. I'm going to throw it long because they don't have somebody to cover that guy. Or uh, in basketball, I once saw a college basketball game, and I looked it up again. When Alabama was playing Minnesota a couple of years ago, um, the University of Alabama against the University of Minnesota, they ended up playing the last 10 minutes of the second half, the last 10 minutes of the game, three on five. Three players for Alabama, five for Minnesota, okay? Because one of them fouled out, one of them got hurt, and the rest of the bench got kicked out of the game because they left and got on the court when there was a fight. So it was like, what are we going to do? We got three players. Well, let's play. Three on five. The crazy thing is, they just about came back and won it. They, they lost by like four points, which is ridiculous when you've got three players and the other team has five. Something's going to fall through the cracks, right? If you don't have the pound of, amount of people that you need. If we're talking basketball, you're not going to be able to cover everybody on offense. There's going to be wide open shots all the time. Uh, on, on offense, you're not going to be able to run your plays. It's going to get confusing, right? So something's going to fall through the cracks. So they needed to fill this spot. There was a role to be played, a role to fill, and, uh, and they needed somebody to do it. Now, what's really interesting is when you look at this whole scenario, there was not a shortage of people surrounding them, was there? It says that they went up to this room. When Peter stood up to say this, there was 120 people in the room. There's not a shortage of people around, but they still felt the need to say, we need one to be an apostle. We need to round out this group, okay? We need to specifically find somebody to fill this spot. And I think that's because leadership is important, okay? Leadership is significant. And not just anybody was gonna be able to effectively fill that role. It was a very specific role. They referred to this as the office of the apostle, right? A Judas, somebody needed to be fulfilling or replacing him in this office, in his share of this ministry. So they were looking for somebody to do the job. And it was an important decision for the other apostles. Who is gonna be one of us, right? Who's gonna be another one of us? Who's gonna represent us in this movement going forward? Who's gonna take a share of this on the same level of investment as we are? Who's gonna be an apostle? And that question of, of who's gonna represent us really 
gets at the heart of this next question. And because the second question that I've got with this is, what is an apostle? We generally think of like an apostle, well, it's one of the 12 that was with Jesus, right? That's an apostle. Um, which every English definition goes back to that. They, they come back to something like, well, one of the 12 disciples was, was with Jesus plus Paul, right? That's the apostles. That's what an apostle is. But the Greek word with, uh, that, that's translated apostle is apostolos. And that word means a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders, okay? So an apostle was, was a recognized representative, one who was sent out as a delegate with a message. They had a message that they were carrying specifically. That's what it meant to be an apostle, not just we hung out with Jesus because when they choose somebody, they say, let's choose somebody that was with us this whole time. From the, from the day that Jesus was baptized to the day that he ascended, let's pick somebody. So there was all kinds of people with them. It wasn't just them who were traveling around with Jesus. So we need an apostle. We need somebody who has a message, okay? We need somebody who's gonna go forward and do this and who's gonna represent this thing and be a witness for us. Jesus tells the 11 before he ascends into heaven in, in, in Acts 1, verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. This is the message, okay, that they're going for. You shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and as far as the remotest part of the earth. That's the message that they're taking. That's the thing that they are representing. They've been delegates sent out to, uh, to share this. We are witnesses of this resurrection, okay? Witnesses of what? Witnesses of, of, uh, of, of, to, to his great teachings, witnesses to his miracles, witnesses to uh, a new understanding of the law, witnesses to whatever, right? No, no. Witnesses of the resurrection. Verse 21 specifically says that. Skip to verse 22, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up for us. Somebody who's been with us the whole time who knows the whole story, who's seen all the whole thing, but somebody who can go with us with this message as a witness to his resurrection. One of these must be with us. And he must be a witness with us, not of the miracles that he did. That's not what they're witnessing. That's not what they're serving as a witness for. They're serving as not, not for the things that he did, not for the things that, that he, he said, not for the people's lives that he touched. He must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's really important. Jesus says to the apostles, you shall be my witnesses. Sent out to the ends of the earth as witnesses that I am standing here before you now. Witnesses that for the last 40 days I taught you about the kingdom of God after I was killed. Now I'm teaching you about the kingdom of God. You're a witness to that. Witnesses that I'm not dead. Witnesses that I have defeated death. That's what an apostle was for. That's the job of an apostle. To be a witness to the resurrection. That is the message. A witness for the resurrection. To do that witnessing then, not just under your own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? 
sent out with authority to be a witness for this resurrection power and for this resurrection life, not just because you've got a tale to tell, but with the power, with the authority of the one who's sending you, right? The Holy Spirit. That's what an apostle was. And that designation is really important. Because these men were responsible for seeing the message of the resurrection delivered to all people. The church didn't exist yet. This message was only shared with a few people, okay? And they needed witnesses. Jesus said, I need witnesses to go out and to share this message. And it's important for Luke to record this event. Because now Matthias is one of these witnesses to that resurrection. And Matthias is gonna be going out to all these people who are gonna be hearing from these apostles who are witnesses, who are working with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is his letter of, uh, of authority, right? Saying, listen, the 11 chose this 12th guy. He's one of them, he's one of us. His message that he's speaking to you is truth. It is valid. It's not something off the wall. Like, this is important. Okay? So Luke is recording this so people will know about it. But the most important thing is that this is a message of the resurrection. Okay? And we're going to come back to that. That's the message that they're taking. That's what they're witnessing. So all of this is great for the early church, right? All this is good for those people who lived during this time and who walked around and saw these guys walking among them and, and living and breathing and understanding that they have this authority and, oh yeah, that was that guy, John, that came to us. I, I'm reading Luke's account of the history of this thing and I realized that John came to us and he was an apostle. He, had, he, he bared witness to us of this resurrection life. That's all good for them, but what does it matter for us, this story? Well, I think there's a, there's a few things that we can gain. All right, there's just a couple of things on a, number one, it starts as a real practical level. So what do we gain out of this? Number one, just looking at on an individual level, um, with Joseph and Matthias, there's two guys that are put forward for this position, all right? Two guys that are seemingly equally qualified because the disciples said, I don't know, which one do you want to choose? And so they said, well, let's draw lots. Basically, let's flip a coin. And we're going to trust God that when it lands on heads, whoever's heads, that's, it's, it's, that's the guy that God wants, right? That's what drawing lots is, okay? Um, how would you like or what would you feel? What, did, what do you think Joseph felt not being picked because somebody flipped a coin? It's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with your skills and your abilities. You're equally, listen, I'm as equal to that guy as, as anybody in this, like I'm one of the two that they put forward. Why didn't I get picked? You ever been in that situation? When somebody else gets picked and you're equal or maybe more qualified for the position? So on a real individual, real practical level, this is like, this is like showing us that, <laughs> listen, it's not always your qualifications for the reason you don't get picked. How many times have you looked back and been like, man, I really wanted that job, but whew, I'm glad I didn't get that one, right? I really wanted to marry that person, but whoa, look out, train wreck, right? <laughs> I mean, how many times have we looked back in life and, and we could say something like that? So just because you don't get picked 
doesn't mean that you're not qualified. It doesn't mean that, that God didn't, didn't want to bless you in this way. Maybe you didn't get picked because God did want to bless you. What if Joseph's response was, dodged a bullet there. I didn't want to be responsible for that. We don't know. We don't know how they felt about it. Uh, we, know, uh, we know a family, or my dad knows a family who, of uh, brothers who make smokers, you know, big cookers for barbecues and stuff, and it's a, it's a couple of Amish brothers. And so this community still draws lots, right, um, as like way they choose and make decisions and, and pick pastors and things like that. And the one time my dad visited this, this business because he was going to buy some products from them, um, one of the brothers had just been designated as the pastor. He drew a lot. And it was him. He got picked. And he was not happy. <laughs> he was like, there goes my life. Like, I, I just wanted to have 20 kids and, and live my life. But now I got to be a pastor. That wasn't what I was planning to do. So he was not happy that the lot, maybe Joseph was completely okay with it. Like, whoo, <laughs> it's on you, Matthias. Good luck, right? Um, so we don't know what that looked like. But just because you don't get picked doesn't mean you're not qualified. Just because you didn't get picked doesn't mean that you weren't, you weren't good enough. It just means it wasn't the right time. Maybe it's not the right time for your job. Maybe it's a different position that's going to pop up available. I think Doug's probably in that position right now. How many times did Doug apply for a position? I don't know. How many interviews did he have? Probably 10. So 22 applications, probably uh, maybe less than 10 interviews, but I mean, a good solid amount of interviews. And he's sitting right now, he started on Saturday with a job that he's like, this is perfect. Like if I would have gotten those other jobs, I would not have gotten this job. You understand? So, so he's looking at it going, thanks God. I'm glad I didn't get those other jobs. This is the one I really wanted all along or I would have, I, I, I didn't know it, but this is it. And so maybe that's what's going on here. That's just a really individual, practical level for this, for this, how this applies to us. What about we can look at this and go, you know what? There's something with this 11, like that's, an, that's a big leadership team, 11 people, right? But they needed 12. There's something about this shared responsibility of church organization and things happening and, and we need people to make this thing work. There's roles to fill and so we need it. Right. So, so very basic, like there's things to do within the church and so we need people to fill those roles. Like that's one of those, that's one of those very practical things that we can get from this. Another thing on that level of church organization is that we said it, leadership matters. Okay, leadership in the church matters. It was important that they had these 12 guys. It was important that they were the leaders of the church. They were the affirmed leadership of the church. These were the guys who would be calling the shots within this growing movement of Jesus people. These are the ones who were sent out to make sure the right message went out. It just wasn't just anybody, okay? These were the ones who had the authority to say, this is the message, this, we're wit we witnessed the resurrection. This is the message that, that we're needing to put forward, okay? Leadership is important. There were many disciples. Anybody could be a disciple. Anybody could be a follower. Anybody could have their life changed. But there's only 12 apostles. See that? In this situation. So leadership is important. Leadership structure is important. For there to be somebody to make the decisions. It's significant and it's important. There's different roles to play. 
Not everybody could be an apostle. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all healers, right? So he's saying, we're not all the same thing. We don't all have the same roles. Some of us are in different roles. So leadership, uh, church structure is important. And church leadership is important. Do they have, did they have committees and teams? I don't think probably, no. Um, but I do know this wasn't a democracy, okay? This was not a democracy for this, for this leadership struggle. These apostles said, we got two guys, God show us which one. They didn't take it to the 120 and say, let's vote on it and see who decides. They said, God, you show us the one of the two that we have decided. It wasn't a democracy. That's a modern invention, all right? Um, there was no voting, no majority rules here. So the church structure, church leadership is important. And with that, probably the most important thing that I'm pulling out of this account of these actions of the apostles, we ask the question of the leadership in my life, both church and otherwise, ask the question for you, for yourself, who am I listening to, all right? Who's got authority in my life? Who is influencing me? Who is representing me? Who speaks for me within the larger community? Because if you're associated with some kind of an organization and that person is the face within the community, you're associated with that, with that organization, that person's speaking for you, okay? If you tell somebody, I go to Capital Vineyard Community Church, they're gonna say, who's the pastor? That's the person that speaks for that organization. You understand that? So think about this. Who speaks for me? Who am I listening to? Who is directing things in my life? Leadership is important. What's the character of the person that's leading me? I think we probably had some bad experiences with character uh, of the people leading us, right? Leadership is important. Probably the most important thing with regards to this, in the case of the church, what message is leadership in my life speaking? That matters. What is the message that the leadership in my life is speaking? And I would ask you, and I would suggest you ask yourself, is it a message of the resurrection? Is it a message of the resurrection? Is the leadership that I am being led by and influenced by bearing witness to the resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit? That's a specific message. It's a specific message, and I can tell you right now that not every church, not every Christian organization carries that kind of a message with it. Not every preacher is preaching a message of the resurrection or preaching a witnessing the resurrection. This is our big takeaway. This is our big element here. The reason for the leadership of the early church being designated as apostles were to be witnesses of the resurrection. They were sharing the good news, the gospel of the resurrection. That's why leadership was designated within the early church the message of the resurrection was then confirmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's really important as well. Why was the power of the Holy Spirit being on somebody important? Because it gave substance to the message. It said, here is the power 
of God, the resurrection. God's, Jesus died, but he rose from the grave. Let me show you some of that power, okay, for your life. So the Holy Spirit is integral in this process. This message of the resurrection was not just an academic exercise. It was not a theological exercise. It was not a religious exercise. This is the good news. And it has to be the resurrection. It's the good news. This is not a message. They were not bearing witness to a message about how to live better. That's not the message that they were taking. This was not about a message about how to live a life pleasing to God. This was not a message about how to escape hell. Wasn't, that wasn't the message. This is the message that they were carrying out. It was a bearing witness to the resurrection. And this is the message of the resurrection. Here it is. Sin and death have been defeated. Life as it was meant to be from creation is now possible. The life that is po- that, and that life is possible, possible because of the resurrection of Christ and because of Christ in you and Christ through you. God in you, the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit gave substance to the message of the res- resurrection. It gave legitimacy to the message that they are bringing. This was not just another teaching. This was not another, just another uh, perspective to bring on Jewish law. This is life as it was meant to be, free, unconditional relationship with God as he lives in you and he lives through you. That's the message of the resurrection. These men, listen, these men were not bearing witness to the crucifixion. You ever think about that? They were not bearing witness to the crucifixion. That's not what it says. They were there to bear witness to the resurrection. Yes, the crucifixion had to happen and the crucifixion was part of it, but they were witnessing they were witnesses of the resurrection. They were not bearing witness to Jesus dying and covering your sins. They were bearing witness to the resurrection, which is giving you life, not just being forgiven, but giving you life. Settling for the message of the crucifixion, when you have the message of the resurrection, is like settling for a boiled hot dog when you got prime rib in front of you. The crucifixion is absolutely a part of this. It had to happen. It was the reason for it happening, but it's not the message. This is the message of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the crucifixion means nothing. They were bearing witness to the resurrection. The leadership of the church was charged with sharing this message and bearing witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, listen, that is so much more than Jesus paid for your sins. Now try to be a good boy. It's so much more than that. It goes so far beyond that. The message of the resurrection is a whole new life of experiencing the blessing and the power of God, of experiencing life and freedom in him as he lives through you. The message of the resurrection is that you have been made new and you've been made right and righteous right now in Christ. Your freedom from further attempts to be made new because you've already been made new. And now you get to grow and to mature into who you really are. Without 
a threat of punishment without the fear of rejection. The message of the resurrection says don't just settle for being forgiven because the old law can provide some forgiveness for you along the way. Don't settle for being forgiven. Recognize the opportunity to be made new and to live life as being made new. That's the message of the resurrection. That's what they were witnessed. They witnessed and they were being witnessed to was that power. That's why the Holy Spirit went with them. And I would ask if the leadership in your life is speaking that message. I know it's coming from here. I know it's coming from here. But there's other opportunities for people to speak into our lives. Are we, who are we listening to on the radio? What, what message is, is, is our, are our friends? Are they speaking to us? What about mentors? What books are we reading? Are, are these messages of witnessing the resurrection and the life that it's possible because of the resurrection? Or is it settling for the crucifixion? You can't be a witness for something you haven't experienced. These guys were witnesses. They chose somebody who had been with them from the very beginning all the way to the ascension so that they could speak to this experience out of their own experience. They could speak to this message out of their own experience. That's why I stand up here on Sunday Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, speaking this message, speaking to you the power of the resurrection. I can be a witness to it because I've experienced it. And I'm still experiencing it daily. The Christian life is not a self-improvement plan, though that's how many live it. The Bible is not a manual on how to live better. The Bible, scripture, is revelation of the life that is possible in Christ because of Christ. The Christian life is freedom from sin. It's freedom from the world. It's freedom from the need to measure up. It's freedom from anxiety. The Christian life is not a self-improvement plan. It's freedom from getting trapped in petty arguments. It's freedom to love and to be loved, to allow others and God to love us. None of that happens through me, but only through Christ in me and Christ through me. As the worship team comes back up, team being Doug and Doug, I wanna read a couple of scriptures. This is the resurrection message. Okay. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Romans 6.4 says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Made new, okay? 
made new. Walk in newness of life. Walk in the newness that you have been made. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the witnessing of the resurrection, the message. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, it's already dead and gone, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is free from sin. He died and he rose again. We died with him and we rose again with him. That's the message of the resurrection. Christ lives in me. The life I live in my body in this faith, I live through the faith that the Son of God who loved me gave himself up for me and didn't stay dead. He rose. He rose. And because he rose, I have life right now, eternally. This is not a message of the pearly gates one day we'll get there. This is a message of life right now. That's, the, that's witnessing the resurrection. The message of the resurrection is life right now, not someday because I've been forgiven and now I'll get there if I'm a good boy. It's life right now. It's a different message than a message of a crucifixion that focuses on the forgiveness of your sins over and over and over and over. The, the cross gave us forgiveness for breaking the law, freed us from the law. Resurrection gives us new life. And you can stop short of that. Many people stop short of that. Living and experiencing the life that is in front of us, right? Many times I've said it's like living in a house, inheriting this huge house, but we choose to live in the laundry room that's in the basement in the dark, damp corner because... That's all we understand it to be. We have the whole house in front of us. We have the freedom of the whole house. That's the message of the resurrection. Life, now. Blessing, now. Favor, now. Even through trouble, blessing and favor. Because we're king's kids. And that's not being spoiled that's not crawling up on his lap and demanding things. That's saying, God, I know I'm your child. I know you love me. You love me enough to die for me. So why would you stop at that? You've given me life, and I want to experience that life. The apostles were named apostles so that they could be witnesses to the resurrection Paul says we're not all apostles, we're not all teachers, we're not all prophets, and I would agree with him in that. We're not all of those things. All of us are not those things. But when you experienced and witnessed the resurrection in your own life, you can be a witness going forward in the resurrection as you interact with other people. And you will. You can't be quiet about it. You can't. There's nobody that's going to be able to stop this kind of a message coming out of me. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't preach the other kind of message anymore. Turns my insides. Ugh. Oh, that doesn't feel good, right? This is life, and this is what's available to us. Why don't you all stand up? 
on your feet. I think the next song is uh, Take Courage. And as we sing this song, we're singing, he's in the waiting, right? He is there and he's in the waiting. And sometimes even in the resurrected life and even in experiencing this resurrection, there's some waiting that happens. Doug waited since last June, was applying for jobs since last June. There's some waiting that happens. But just because there's waiting that happens or just because we're not picked doesn't mean that we don't have that favor and that, that, that blessing in our lives and that goodness of God in our lives. We can believe that. But sometimes there's waiting. The good thing about a resurrection perspective is that we know he's with us in the waiting. And we get that life. So let's go into this song. Let's, let's pray before we do. Father, we just thank you for your love and we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your life the life that you have given us. We thank you that you want to live your life through me, through us, Christ in us and Christ through us. We thank you for going on ahead of us. We thank you for being behind us. We thank you for, for everything that you have worked for the good of us who love you because we know that you work all things for the good of those who love you. God, that's the life that we're expecting. That's the life we're thankful for. That's the life that we want to dive into and God, when, when, when our thoughts don't line up with that understanding, I pray that you would direct us back to that understanding. Remind us who we are. Remind us that we're already made new. Remind us that we've already been forgiven. Remind us that, that your love goes before us in all things. And you've not abandoned us, and you'll never abandon us. We're not afraid of punishment. We're not, we're, not, we're not afraid of uh, a threat of, of whatever might come next, that the, sh the other shoe is going to drop. God, we're expecting life because we have the life in you. So, Father, I just pray you would remind us of that even as we're waiting and that we would recognize when you're there, you've risen. You have the power of the resurrection. You've given us that power through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we want to see that at work in our lives too. So, Lord, we just ask you to come in this next couple of minutes as we worship. If there's anything that y'all want to pray about, Angela's at the back. She's more than willing to pray. Um, I'm at the front. You want to come and pray and pray here, but just feel free to move and, uh, and pray as we do this. Let's go. So when I speak like this in these terms about this message is the message. I don't, I'm not speaking out of arrogance. I don't think I got everything right, all right? Um, I just know what I've experienced and I, and I know what I understand to be true. And there's a thing that I heard somebody talking um, several weeks ago. They were saying, there's a thing that happens when you understand who you are in Christ and when you understand the truth of being made new and the under, understand this, the truth of this resurrection and what it means for your life. And you begin to be really confident in it because it's being confident in Christ. It's not being confident in me and my understanding. It's not being confident in anything that, that uh, I'm able to do or whatever. It's, it's confidence. It's boasting, as Paul would say, boasting in Christ because it's what he's done. It's not anything that I've done or that I'm doing. And I was talking with a friend one time and I realized that this is what happened. He was telling me about this life in this resurrection life. And I was kind of, I was agreeing with him. Like I thought I got it. I thought I understood it. And he just kind of looked at me and, and, I, and I made a comment and he goes, you'll get it. <laughs> it's like, he's like, 
you're not quite there, but you'll get it, right? And it's just, and, it, and he wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to be arrogant. He's just saying, this is life as he's experienced it. And I get it now. And I get it. Um, and I'm also not saying that God can't work through other messages. Clearly, God's big enough and he does, right? He brought me here to this point through that kind of a church and that kind of a message or whatever. Um, and so, so I'm, not, I'm not arrogant in thinking that I've got the message that's right, okay? Although I do think that I got the message that's right. M- never mind, I'm not gonna get into that. Okay, all right. So let me just pray for y'all before you go, before we all go. So Lord Jesus, we just, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the wisdom um, that is not wisdom of this world, but is wisdom that is given to us and imparted to us by the Spirit, for it's only through the Spirit that you can reveal that truth to us. And so I pray that that truth, you would speak that truth to the people in this room, to the people at home that are watching online or whatever. God, I just pray that you would speak this truth that it is the resurrection that changes everything. And it's not just changes everything for forgiveness. It is the resurrection that changes everything for what we can expect as we go forward in life in relationship with you. And so, God, I just pray that over our our church. I pray that over anybody who might hear this message that's not a part of our church. I pray that, God, as we go out from here, we would be witnesses to the resurrection because we have experienced it and because we know that it's true. God, give us boldness, give us confidence to speak this truth, not in arrogance, but in boasting in you that look what Jesus did. Look what God has done in this resurrection and look what God has done in me. He brought me to life. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. It doesn't get better than that. So God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to speak that truth, not to argue, not to to have another religious point to be right on, but speaking truth into people's lives so that they may too also experience the resurrection. God, the forgiveness of sin and the being made new because of the resurrection. We love you, Jesus. I pray this over our church in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless y'all and go in peace.